I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. This week we have Mosiah chapters 7 through 10. We'll be talking about how if I turn to the Lord and trust Him and serve Him, He'll deliver me. Talk a little bit about the 24 plates that were found by Limhi's people. Uh, the fact that the Lord gives us prophets, seers, and revelators to benefit mankind. Um, that we can face all of our challenges in life in the strength of the Lord. And the fact that all of our choices and decisions and actions can influence future generations. Once again, we're social distancing, so I'll introduce all of us. I'm Daniel, I'm joined by Feely, and this week we're joined by Andy Horton, who will help us with this topic. So we've got King Mosiah is taking over for, for King Benjamin, and this is like during their their kind of period of three years of peace and harmony. I think it's really cool because it's like, everything's going really well with us, what about those other guys? Whatever happened to them, you know? And I think that that... that kind of goes into how we should really think about when times are going well for us. It's not just a, a time to sit back and say, well, life's great and I'm great and everybody I know is great. But to kind of start to look out and say, what about my family? What about my friends? Where's that? What's that guy been up to? I haven't heard from him in a while. You know, like start to reach out to people. If if you're in a place where things are going well, don't just get complacent, you know, start to look out for others as well. And so they kind of started doing that, which I thought was cool. It's something we can all relate to when, uh, when something good happens to us or when we have something good, something delicious, some cinnamon rolls. It's always better when you share it, right? Yeah. And this is kind of one of, one of the big first missionary ventures. What well, kind of a missionary venture? Um, in the Book of Mormon. I mean, we're going to see a lot more of this, but this is kind of the first one. And I wonder how Mormon decided, you know, because he, he looked at all the records. And so he had to premeditate having place King Benjamin and highlighting all of, because almost everything King Benjamin talks about is very introspective. Look up myself, look at your relationship with God. And, and now we're going to branch into how do you serve others? How do you how do others get out of bondage? How are they delivered? Which is, 
it's funny because it's, I mean, I can see that very much in our day, in my own life, you know, I can look back and think times when I've been in bondage and stuff anyway. Huh? I found it interesting um, in verse four, after these this group of men go out to look for this lost, this kind of forgotten people. Um, in verse four of chapter seven, it says, and now they knew not the course they should travel in the wilderness to go up to the land of Lehi Nephi. Therefore, they wandered many days in the wilderness. Even 40 days did they wander. Mm-hmm. And it kind of brought me back to 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 6 of Nephi saying, I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. And you see the miracle that happened after Nephi went and, and into Jerusalem and the miracle of getting the plates and things like that. Um, and the miracle that or the wandering that preceded the miracle of them finding this group of people. I just thought that was interesting that they, it just says they knew not the course they should travel. So they kind of just went about aimlessly. And sometimes we look at our own lives and sometimes we feel like we're in that, like, I have no idea what's going on with my life. Like, I don't, I'm not in the job that I want. I'm not <clears throat> living where I want. This is not the way that I expected my life to go. And sometimes that's okay because then it all works out and you look back and you go, wow, like I can really see the, the Lord's hand in points A, B and C. Whereas when I was in that part, I didn't realize that I was being led to here. And so you, I just think it's interesting that the scriptures teach us like it's okay to be lost in a certain perspective. Yeah. And I think the key to that is always maintaining that connection to the Lord. Like if you start just going out and saying, I don't know what I'm doing and he'll point me in the right direction. But if you're not connected to him, how is he supposed to tell you? It's kind of the liahona, right? If you're not Mm -hmm. following, if you're not listening, if you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing, then you really are just kind of out there just flailing, you know? When you have that connection with him is is when you're able to receive revelation and, and really recognize, okay, this opportunity that came up, that's what I need to be doing, you know? When it does come up, you can recognize, ah, this is some this is something more than just random happenstance. This is actually him guiding my life. It's very very similar to the example I think President Monson used when they received the revelation to lower the missionary age. He kind of mentioned several times how the Lord told them what they needed to do, but he didn't tell them how to do it or all the following implications. And they had to figure out, and then they had to go to the quorum. Quorum had to go to the area authorities. Area authorities had to go to the state presidents and the bishops, and everybody had to work together to figure out how to do what the Lord wanted them to do. And similar to that example with Nephi, where um, Lehi lets them know, we got to go get the plates. And the Lord has commanded us to do it. And then they go and they try several methods. <laughs> So they get the right one, you know, yeah. and, and it's, I think it's a kind of a, a false um, idea that we have that we think uh, we should have a perfect roadmap to our lives. And we, as we're traveling, we're hitting certain checkpoints and, and everything is spelled out for us. I think, I think that's why we're given principles in our agency and we're taught to seek revelation 
you know, because there is a point where whether you go left or you go right, sometimes it doesn't matter. It's just do what's right, go left and go do what's right, or go right and go do what's right. It's not necessarily, I, I think we sometimes when things go bad, we wish we were micromanaged, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's not, I don't think we really want that. <laughs> Well, I, I would say that 90% of the time in my life, it, the answers I've gotten, hey, should I do this or not? It's kind of like, yeah, sure. That's not bad. Do it. Or don't do it. You know? And I'm like, I I want to be told what to do sometimes. Like you said, I, I in those moments, I'm like, no, just tell me yes or no. And nine times out of 10, it's either way you're going to be used um Either way, you're going to be useful. So, whether you decide to do that or you decide to change and do something else, it doesn't really matter. I think that that speaks to the value of our agency. That even when there's important life decisions, sometimes it's still like, no, this is up to you. This is your thing. I I will intervene when necessary. I will I will help you know what you need to do when it really really matters. But this is one of those things. It's not really a bad thing. Go for it or don't. Well, the the this group that went out uh, and and found what is it? The people of Limhai. Yep. Um, it didn't turn out that great at the beginning. You know, initially, you know, they're thought to be trespassers. They're put in prison. You know, all these things happen in the manual. Uh, the first section, it the the theme is. If I turn to the Lord, trust him and serve him, he will deliver me. And I thought that was interesting because that's saying you're going to have to be in captivity first in order to be delivered. Um, it lets us know that sometimes things aren't going to go right, but the Lord will still help you get through it. I think we it's easy to want or to think that because we are on the Lord's side or, or trying to follow him that that exempts us from having trials <laughs> or having moments of of you know suffering or even doubt you know and that's not the case he, he's just saying he won't forget you he'll deliver you this yeah. will pass yeah, i think in in verse 25 is kind of the king limhi is talking about how his people kind of got into this position and he says, for if this people had not fallen into transgression, the Lord would not have suffered that this great evil should come upon them. But behold, they would not hearken unto his words. But there arose contentions among them, even so much that they did shed blood among themselves. And a prophet of the Lord they have slain, yea, and chosen a man of, a chosen man of God, who told them of their wickedness and abominations, and prophesied of many things which are to come, yea, even the coming of Christ. And then in verse 29, he says, I won't I will not, this is the Lord speaking, I will not succor my people in the day of their transgression. So what you were saying, first we kind of have to accept the idea that at some point we will be in captivity spiritually. We will make mistakes. We will sin. But I think what he's saying, I will not succor my people in the day of their transgression, is if you're not repentant, the Lord won't help you. That's not to say that if you're imperfect or if you sin, that the Lord will abandon you. It's just saying if you're not willing to change, if you're not coming humbly, ready to change, then the Lord's not going to seek you out. 
you know, we have to be the ones to initiate and turn to him first and say, okay, my life's not what I want it to be and I want to change. We have to be repentant for him to, to be able to help us. Jumping back to verse 15, the king, king Limhi is talking and he says, Behold, we are in bondage to the Lamanites and are taxed with a tax which is grievous to be born. And now behold, mm-hmm. our brethren will deliver us out of our bondage or out of the hands of the Lamanites. And then it says that the next day that the king Limhi came back and in verse 19, he says, Therefore, lift up your heads and rejoice and put your trust in God. And so at mm-hmm. first he meets these guys and he thinks, hey, they're going to deliver us. And then I, I don't know, there's there's something missing that happened at night where King Limhi maybe, I don't know, received a revelation or or maybe he thought about it after the excitement of being freed was was over. And he was like, no, these guys can't deliver us. We've tried to deliver ourselves and it hasn't yeah. worked. And so we need to put our trust in God. And that's the pattern that that goes on in the next chapters is put your trust in God. And if you're going to go to war, go to war with the strength of the Lord, um, which we'll talk about. But I thought that was interesting, the the context, the contrast between those two attitudes that he had. Because sometimes we do put our trust in God. Throughout this whole pandemic, or we put our trust in man. Throughout this whole pandemic, there's people who are are turning to God, and they're fasting, and they're praying, and there's a lot more faith going on in the world, and faiths are uniting. But there's also people who are like turning towards the president and the leaders and the healthcare, and they're like, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you delivering us from this? And they're sitting here going, like, we're doing what we can do, but we can only do so much. And so I just found that interesting. I wonder what happened if what was left out maybe of, of Mormon putting the place together where maybe mm-hmm. he just like skipped over something or got distracted where it was like, and King Lemai had this vision or he received revelation that, you know, it's not man who will deliver you, but God. Yeah. It could have been as simple well, as like one of his friends, like, hey, these guys, um, they're great and all, but we, I mean, we tried to fight to get liberated. What makes you think these guys are going to save us all of a sudden? They come out of nowhere. We don't even know who these guys are. They could be saying they're from Zara. We don't know who they are. And then why would they be more capable than us? And then maybe at that point he's saying, um, well, they have the Lord on their side. And they, they, they have come and talked to him, talked to us of him. And maybe, maybe that's what's going to deliver us. Maybe it's the Lord, really, that's going to do it, not necessarily these individuals. So well, they know that they they killed the prophets and they didn't follow the commandments. And they might you know, it might be that they their whole expedition was to go live somewhere where no one can tell them what to do, you know. Because in verse fifteen, at the end of that, where he you know, he says, Hey, our brethren can deliver us, he says, and we will be their slaves, where yes. it is better that we are slaves to Nephites. And I, I view that comment almost like you know when you get caught red-handed or you do something wrong and you're like, okay, if you help me, you know, I'll go to church every Sunday. I will go <laughs> seven times a week. I, I will do this. I will do that. And it's, it's kind of like, field, you, know, right? you know, you're humbled. And then you realize after a while, it's like, well, if I would have just done what was right, I would have never been in this predicament. If I, if I would have buckled my seatbelt, you know, I wouldn't be here, you know, or whatever, you know. It's like the Lord, he shows through all these examples that he continuously forgives us. 
he continuously is there to 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 help us to deliver us we're the ones that kind of go through i want to be obedient and i prosper and then i forget the lord and then i find myself in a terrible situation then i remember the lord and like a good friend he's there he's not you know, and sometimes he does say, hey, you know, remember when I told you to keep the commandments? Uh, you, It was for your own good because you won't prosper if you don't keep these commandments. It's fascinating to me how various examples in the scriptures of our own lives and our own attitudes and, and thoughts on how we keep our commandments, how we exercise our agency, our explained through the book of mormon it kind of reminds me of the story of of shadrach meshach and abednego from the old testament they they refuse to bow down to the gods of king nebuchadnezzar and they're he's going to throw them into a fiery furnace right and they tell the king our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he'll deliver us out of thine hand they had a lot of faith, even though they're probably looking at that fiery furnace thinking, that doesn't look so great. They they had the feeling, you know what, God's going to save us because we're being obedient. We're doing the right thing. But it wasn't just blind faith, because then the other part is, following that statement, they say, but if not, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image without which thou hast set up. So they're like, even if this doesn't work out, even if our faith does not play out the way we expected, we're still not going to give in. That to me is so important because so many times I think we we start out with faith and saying, yes, I believe that this will turn out well. And then we get so discouraged when it, our faith isn't immediately rewarded or when things don't play out the way we had hoped. Like, oh, gosh, well, I guess that I, I'm putting faith in the wrong things. And you see people start to even like, make huge life changes because their faith is is shaken and it's like real true faith is saying i'm not going to do that or i'm going to trust in the lord and even if it doesn't work out it's his will he wanted that to be that way and i'm going to continue to have faith and that and that's exactly what they say in verse 33 he says if we will turn to the lord with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind if you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. So according to his will and pleasure. So it might not you may out. not be delivered and it will be his will. But you have to have faith and humility that this is his will for you. Um, but the other part that I think about this is that it's a, this is a really good example. If we're going to apply this exact situation to our lives, um, with those those guys that went to search out their brethren in the land of Lehi, and um, also the people of Limhi. Sometimes we ourselves are in need of rescuing. Sometimes we're captive and we need a reminder. We need someone to come and find us and say, hey, stop it. You're better than this. And sometimes we are the rescuers. Sometimes we need to be the ones going out and seeking out our brethren, like I kind of mentioned before, but saying, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in church recently. Of course, that's different now because it would have to be your family. But, um, you know, I haven't heard from so-and-so in a while, and I just, 
I want to check up on them or I want to know what's what's going on with them just to reach out. Um, we need to listen to the spirit and know what the Lord would have us do. Sometimes we need rescuing. Sometimes we need to be the rescuer. And if we're not in tune with what the Lord wants, we might miss out on opportunities either way, either to be rescued or to be a rescuer. But it's important to to realize when you are rescuing somebody, you need to be at their level in a way. Because in chapter 8, verse 3, Ammon is teaching them, and he says, and, and he, Ammon, rehearsed unto them the last words which King Benjamin had taught them, and explained them to the people of King Limhi so that they might understand all the words which he spake. And so that's just... You know, as missionaries, you're always taught and preach my gospel, teach to their understanding. So if you are out rescuing somebody, make sure you're going about it the right way and you're teaching at the right level. Because if you're not, it's just going over their head and it's not really helping them. Well, it's it's really easy to want to show off or mm-hmm. to want to appear scholarly or knowledgeable or whatever. But uh, some I found is that you really, in order to teach something very simple, you have to know it really well, and you know, and you see that in in teachers and really good teachers can can teach to the to the students' understanding. Because if you teach past their understanding, it doesn't profit them anything. It would be like if a kindergarten teacher goes in and just shows off how much they know to the kindergartners, you know. And then it's like, don't worry, guys, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. And they're sitting there like, what are you? I don't even know the alphabet, really. You know, like, what are you talking about? It so misses the mark. And like you said, it's not helpful. In the end, everyone just ends up being frustrated. Right. And it's not that you have to condescend down and, and you know, bestow yourself on someone. That's really the opposite of what we're talking about. It's being humble enough to recognize that the best help you can give is sometimes just supporting them in their own learning. I can't give you a testimony. All I can do is support you in your development of your own. Yeah, it's interesting how um, taking care of temporal needs for people in need opens the door to teach them spiritual things. You know what I mean? Like their, their temporal need is we're being taxed and we're kind of in bondage and then Lamanites aren't really good hosts. <laughs> and later on, we're going to similar patterns and almost Amman, especially his most successful approach is I'm going to address, help you address this temporal need, but please understand that that's not everything. It's the spiritual one. Yeah. That is of greater value, but he understands people can't hear the spiritual one when they're suffering temporarily. And I think sometimes we we forget that, especially when we see people who are uh, homeless or, or lose a job or, or going into debt and stuff. And, and it's easy for us to think, oh, they stopped coming to church or, or, or you know, you know, and it's like, well, that's a difficult thing. It's really hard to judge. And, and sometimes you have to re- help repair the temporal need before you can get this. And that's a good ministering partner. Someone who is, if, if you have a neighbor or a friend who's absent or, or has uh, withdrawn from the church, 
you have to be a friend first. They have to trust you. And then that moment will come when you can share, you know, man, what really helps me is to be able to trust the Lord. And that's helped me. But they won't hear that part if you only show up as if it's an assignment or you're always, you know, if you don't help with, and we all have temporal needs. We have needs to be listened to, to be loved, to be accepted, you know. So, so this next part, it uh, explains to us a little bit how the people of Limhi, several times it seemed, they tried to send little excursions out to find the land of Sarahemla again. But they weren't successful, but they did come upon these 24 plates, 24 plates of gold, they're called. And so in the manual, it asks us, what were the 24 plates found by Limhai's people? It's interesting because they find like weapons. There's a lot of evidence there uh, that there was a civilization, that there was a lot going on, um, but that it was a while ago because they talk about how they find swords and there's, they're all rusty and stuff like that. So it's been a while since anybody's been there. Um, later, we find out that these are the Jaredites that came over during the time of the Tower of Babel. And Mormon uh, puts them as the Book of Ether later in the Book of Mormon. So we kind of later on, we'll hear more about these people. But it's interesting that... Um, the first question that he asks them about this stuff is he's like, Hey, we, we found this stuff. King Limhi is like, we found these plates. And then he asks, knowest thou anyone that can translate for I'm desirous that these records should be translated into our language. So first thing I want to know what they say, because I can't read this. And I, I think about that when we read the scriptures, sometimes we struggle to understand exactly what they're saying or, I don't know. There's times when I read and I'm like, what is this really getting at? You know, this is a cool story or this is an interesting uh, topic, but what is it really getting at? And I think we ask that question sometimes without even knowing it. Who can translate this for me? Who can simplify this for my day, for my time? Because it's great that we have this, but what, what does this actually mean for me? And I think that's where, you know, the, the fact that we have prophets, seers, and revelators, we have the, the general authorities that have been called to do that, to take these scriptures and not only just explain, here's what it's talking about, but make it applicable to our time, make it applicable to us. It's the same kind of thing. In verse 8 of chapter 8, in the middle of the verse, it says they travel in the land of many waters, having discovered a land which was covered with bones of men and of beasts, and was also covered with ruins of buildings of every kind, having discovered a land which had been peopled with a people that were so numerous as the hosts of Israel. So this group comes back and says, we found all these buildings, all these dead animals, all these bones of men, and in there we found these 24 plates of gold. And there's part of me that is like, that would freak me out a little bit. You know, whatever, what happened to them, we need to know because maybe that will happen to us. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and as much as that's very fearful, but that's exactly what those plates teach them. They will teach them what happened to them 
and how you can prevent it happening to us. Meaning they, as a civilization, they warred and they fell due to not keeping the commandments. And I think impartially not to having the scriptures with them that didn't help them as well. Yeah. But that, that must have been so impactful to them because of the way they describe it. Remember when you're on your missions and you're teaching the first lesson and it was God is our loving Heavenly Father. And then the next thing was talks about prophets. And then you go into the other steps. It's funny because Ammon teaches in chapter 7, verse 27, he teaches King Limhi about the image of God and how we are created in his image. And that's exactly what we as and that's exactly what missionaries out in the world are teaching people right now. The first principle that they teach is in the first lesson is God's our loving Heavenly Father and we're created in his image. That's what Ammon teaches here. And the second thing that that missionaries in the world are teaching is prophets. And they talk about how God has called prophets and people they kill the prophets or they don't listen and and there's this pattern. And that's the second thing that Ammon teaches King Limhi. He show King Limhi shows him the plates and he starts talking. He just jumps into prophets. He's he kind of like he kind of supports, oh yeah, I know somebody who can translate. And that person is, boom, yeah. this prophet, this seer that can see the past, the present, the future, can translate. And so it's funny how um, the same pattern that we as missionaries are teaching today is the same kind of pattern that follows here. It just shows that the gospel doesn't change, that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. The same things, the same things that matter to us now mattered to them. And in verse 19, about halfway down, King Limhi says, Doubtless a great mystery is contained within these plates. And these interpreters were doubtless prepared for the purpose of unfolding all such mysteries to the children of men. So, I mean, we're all trying to find the truth. And then, now, and someday in the future, there will be people that want to know what is what are these mysteries of God? What does God want us to know? And exactly like you said, first and foremost, nothing else matters until you know that God is real and that he cares about you. That's first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Now let's get into other things, right? But yeah. if we don't establish that God is not just this nebulous entity that, you know, uh, is a an energy force, you know, but is he's actually a, a being that knows and cares about you and identifies with you as a person, as an individual, then nothing else really matters after that. So yeah, that's a really good point. And in verse 18 of chapter 8, he says, Thus God has provided means that man through faith might work mighty miracles. Therefore, he becometh a great benefit to his fellow beings. I just love that part of God has provided a means that through our faith, these miracles can happen. It reminds me of that quote by President Hinckley of basically says, like, everything will work out. Don't worry. God's in control. Mm. That's a terrible misinterpretation of it, but um, <laughs> I'll have to find it. But anyways, that's kind of the gist of it is President Hinckley just says, I tell myself every day, like, don't worry, it will all work out in the end. And it and it and it did for him and it does for me. And it may not be the path of how I expected it to happen, but it happens. For me, this section of the Lord provides prophets, seers, and revelators to the benefit of mankind made me think of uh, the proclamations that the brethren have made throughout the years. In this last conference, we got a new proclamation on the on the 
restoration of the gospel. But I thought of the proclamation of the family, and towards the end of it, the last, the second to last paragraph, it says, we warn that individuals who violate covenants of chastity, who abuse spouse or offspring, and or who fail to fulfill family responsibilities will one day stand accountable before God. Further, we warn that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. And that is as straightforward as it can be, you know, in saying, and, and you look at these people who found a destroyed civilization, not knowing that they too will become a destroyed civilization. <laughs> and then in our day, and, and they, this is a warning our prophets are giving us about the importance of the family. And it's probably nothing new. It's probably the same throughout all time. But that's their role is to highlight these things, to remind us, especially because this, this, these proclamations aren't just for us. They're to everyone on earth. And they're, yeah. they're speaking for everyone. In, in verse uh, chapter 7, verse 24, King Limahi says, Yea, I say unto you, great are the reasons which we have to mourn. And they, they were in a terrible situation. But then, you know, he's taught about how he's created in God's image. He's taught about prophets and the, the blessings that they bring to us. And in chapter 8, verse 20, he says, Oh, how marvelous are the works of the Lord. So he kind of had this mind shift of, Woe is me to, holy cow, like we are... We, we can be blessed if we do what's right. Well, it's that spirit of optimism that um, I, I feel like President Nelson has a lot of. The way he talks about the future, the way even throughout this whole pandemic crisis, he's like, I'm optimistic. We have a lot of truth in the world. We have a lot of good things happening. And we can't get down on, you know, the times are hard and that we're, we're going to be okay. And I think that, that that's always, you know, do you have reason to mourn? Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of weird, bad stuff that happens in the world all the time. But the Lord brings us happiness and the gospel brings us happiness and it will prevail. The next section um, covers basically all the way through chapters 9 and 10, right? I can face my challenges in the strength of the Lord. And it quotes, it says that, I think, two times that exact phrase in the strength of the Lord. And um, we kind of get an account. This is now an account of the people that left Zarahemla with King Zenith or was Zenith. Um, and they, they're the ancestors to King Limhi's people. And the manual tells us to look for what Zenith's people did to show their faith. So I, I started looking as I was reading and I thought, Okay, well, they built up their city, they constructed buildings, they tilled the earth and planted seeds. That kind of shows we have faith that they'll grow and that we'll be able to provide for ourselves. And when they went into battle against the Lamanites, they prayed to the Lord for help. Um, they armed themselves physically with weapons that they would need, but they didn't rely on only that for protection. They also prepared spiritually. They also armed themselves spiritually, which I thought was really key because you know the physical protection is great and all but if you rely only on that you leave yourself pretty darn vulnerable you leave yourself to your own 
whatever your own skills might be, and you completely discount whatever the Lord might be able to do for you. Uh, so I think it's really, really key that they, and really in my mind, that's what the strength of the Lord is, is when you're turning to him and saying, it's more than just me. Now I'm not, I'm not going in just myself. I also have the backing of the Lord with me. I think also the inverse of that is also true, meaning um, we shouldn't just say, oh, the Lord will take care of it and not do your own preparation, you know. Uh, for example, something like, oh, I said a prayer, therefore I don't have to wear a mask or wash my hands. You know, that kind of thing. It's like if you've been given the means, use them. You know, it, it's a balance between you know, and the best option is doing both of them, trusting in the Lord and doing everything you can in your power with your knowledge. Yeah. In verse 11 of chapter 10, it says, Now the Lamanites knew nothing concerning the Lord, nor the strength of the Lord. Therefore, they depended on their own strength. Yet they were a strong people as to the strength of men. Can you be strong without the Lord? Maybe. But it's much more difficult, and your strength is going to be greatly diminished in comparison to what you could be with the Lord. And so I, I think it's interesting that he says, you know, as far as the strength of men go, yeah, they were pretty strong people, the Lamanites, um, but they didn't know anything about the Lord. And so we had that as an advantage. You know, we had that at least as a benefit on our side. They weren't completely wiped out, which the Lamanites hated them. So very well could have just wiped them off the face of the earth, but they were able to at least preserve themselves because they had the strength of the Lord on their side. I think when we read um, as to the strength of men, a couple of chapters back, we just learned about the natural man. So, yeah. and they, and that's kind of what they were fighting with was with the strength of natural men, um, whether that's physical natural men or spiritual natural men, they were kind of fighting with both of that. They, And so you think of somebody who, you know, somebody who has, uh, you know, a pornography addiction, you can't, you, your natural man is not going to overcome a pornography addiction because the natural man thrives on a pornography addiction. So how can you overcome that when you, when your strength is not there? So to overcome something like a pornography addiction, it requires what they have in verse 10, the strength of the Lord to battle that you have to turn yourself over to, to that. So it's just funny. It's like trying to fight. It's like trying to fight fire with fire. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, in, you know, a wildfire, yeah, they have their science and they have their methods. But when it comes to what we're talking about, fighting a pornography addiction with the natural man, that that's counterintuitive. Or even just trying to say, I, I can handle this on my own. Mm -hmm. I don't need to turn. The, I, can, I know what I know better. You know, I, I can stop myself. Yeah. I'll, well, I'll stop when I want to stop. Yeah. I, I know better and I, I know I shouldn't. So when I decide to, I'll be mm -hmm. able to. And it's like, sometimes it's harder than that. Sometimes it's a lot more heavy than that. And that's why the Lord says, give me your burden. You know, don't carry this on your own, you fools. Like, <laughs> I'm, I've given you the opportunity to let me carry this for you and to let me help you. So turn to me. I am your strength. I can be, I can magnify your strength tenfold if you just allow me to. A lot of times we try to take it too much ourselves. Mm -hmm. Think of like um, in, uh, 
in jujitsu when you're when you're sparring or rolling with somebody almost everything you want to do is the wrong thing to do you know <laughs> Uh, you start berserking, you start using just strength and technique takes advantage of the person's strength to arm lock them, to cross choke them, to mount them, you know, to do. And that, and that's the thing is your strength or your initial reaction is going to play right into your opponent's technique, you know, and that's what they say all the time, you know, technique overcome strength but the best is to have strength and technique you know then you're just unstoppable you mentioned you know it talks about the hatred that the lamanites had for the nephites and it's funny because you look at the the chapter heading of chapter 10 and it says this is about 187 to 160 bc and the lamanites you know they kind of broke off at around 650 or yeah. 550 BC. So these people have held a grudge for over 400 years. They've held generations, and they've passed it on to their children in a way that this is all because that Nephi was more faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Therefore, he was favored of the Lord, for the Lord heard his prayers and answered them, and he took the lead of their journey in the wilderness. And his brethren were wroth with him because they understood not the dealings of the Lord. They were also wroth with him upon the waters because of their hardened hearts against the Lord. I just find that amazing, trying to, passing that hatred to your children. I mean, people hold grudges against their family members, and then they try to get their own children to be like, hey, you, you shouldn't be friends with your cousins. You shouldn't be friends with your aunt because of what she did to me. And it's like, really? Like, this is, this is what, how we're living our lives. And it's like, what good does this bring? Because the good it brought for the Lamanites was it turned them into a wild and ferocious and bloodthirsty people believing in the tradition of their fathers, which is believing they were driven out of the land. And so it just gave them this totally false idea and it yeah. just passed down hate. And it's just yeah. amazing to see that there are still people who do this today. There are countries who do this to, well, their, to their whole nation. I think I think it's even more common than that. Just take a little dive into the comment section of almost any news article, or <laughs> you know, and you'll see wild and ferocious people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this, it, it kind of tells us in the manual, my choices can influence generations. And it talks a little bit what you just said. These false traditions, not always are they hate. It just could be false traditions. I, I remember Elder Oaks did a really good talk about the culture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was just inviting everyone. He was inviting everyone that every culture has something in conflict with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that as we all become members, we need to be willing to let go of some of those traditions and adopt new traditions that are centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because sometimes we use we can use good things to beat people up with. You know, we can use patriotism. We can use this. We can use, you know, the size of our bank account. I, I don't know anything, right, to hurt and beat others up because of this perception that gets passed on from. And sometimes, and that's the most dangerous part is as a parent, when you realize like I've had this moment several times when I see my one child, my oldest child, 
yelling at my youngest child, and he sounds like me. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the worst. <laughs> like, what in the world? And it's sometimes a lot of these things passed on are unintentional. And we have to be very conscious of that. And and Mormon wrote that for us, you know. He he put it in there for us. Well, I think that we we like to believe that my tendencies are mine, my beliefs are mine, and my children have their agency. They will choose to act and believe as they want. Almost like, you know, they're not guilty for my sins. They're not so their their lives are completely separate from mine. But there's a reason why we have a family unit, and there's a reason why we've been structured this way, with kind of older people being there to guide younger people. And it's because we're meant to establish the foundation of, of belief and of culture for them. Whether we like it or not, they're going to look at what we do and the way we think and the way we act, and they're going to carry on some of that. And yeah, sometimes it'll be like, well, if, if they're old enough or they get to a point where they're like, I don't know why my dad has a grudge against those people or that person. I'm not like that, though. You know, that happens all the time. But at the same time, like, look at that 400-year history of hatred. And how, there's modern examples of that, too. And it's just completely unreasonable. And why you, you go back to what the original cause was, and maybe it was legitimate. Maybe there was legitimate harm done to someone, right? There's a, there's a reason to have hatred or a grudge or whatever at first. But if you, have, if you are the linchpin, if you're the responsibility going forward, do you want to have that on you? Do you want to be the reason why the following generations are a certain way or think a certain way or act a certain way? And I think also there's a good side to this too. Right. I think about all my ancestors that made very difficult decisions to leave their families, to leave their cultures, to leave everything they knew, to join a church, to travel across the entire known world and follow the gospel. Right. And how many people have benefited from that since then. And I think, okay, well, if they can do that, what am I capable of doing? How can I set? A, a standard or a good foundation for my children, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren to look back and say, because of grandpa so-and-so, I have this in my life, or we have this tradition or this, these good habits, you know, we read scriptures because it was so important to him. How can I help bestow that on the people that follow me? You know, how can I be a greater influence than a negative influence? So I think that's that's really what it gets to, and when we when we look at that, if you are if if it all hinges on you, what does it look like after you? It's funny that you mentioned that because we have perceived wrongs, you know, being spoken about here, or not even the the Lamanites are wrong in their hatred. We know that, right? Nephi did everything to help them or help his brothers, he did not wrong them. They kind of chose to be wronged. They chose to be the victims, right? And then we have actual wrongs that occur. And for that too, the Savior told us, how many times should you forgive? And they wanted a specific number. And he gave them seven times 70, right? Or, or, or something, just to kind of tell them, 
as much as possible. And then we have modern revelation that, that has even uh, expounded on that to say, you know, the Lord forgive everyone. He will forgive whom he will forgive. But for us, is required to forgive all men. And in this path of discipleship, you know, initially we can stop falsifying hate or drumming up issues where there shouldn't be any. Maybe the next evolution is even when something bad happens to us, we need to learn to cope with it better and let go and forgive. And even when the unthinkable happens to us and we need to heal, maybe we rely on the Lord and know that that person is guilty, but he's going to have to face the Lord. We're not the ones that need to carry out justice. You know what I mean? And yeah. we can heal and move on. It's amazing to see. I mean, for 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 the Lamanites, they're like, oh, you you had your prayers answered and we didn't. We're mad at you for that. And we're going to hold that against your family for 400 years. And oh, you took the sword of Laban with you. And and how dare you leave us without the sword of Laban? That was that was a family heirloom, and you just took it, Nephi. And it's like, are you guys serious right now? Like, really, like these petty little things? Because last week there was there was that couple in West Jordan that was murdered. The husband and wife were murdered. And I was reading the article, and I was just like, holy cow! Like that is insane. And then I read the statement from the people from their family. And it was like, hey, like, we we forgive this person. Like, we don't know what went on, but like, we forgive them. And they were automatically within like 24, 48 hours, they were already sending out a release saying like, hey, we forgive you. Like, and I just thought how admirable that was that, that this family could already forgive this person before the person was even found. Yeah. They were already being like, hey, like, we forgive you. And I was just like stunned that they were so willing to forgive whereas you have other people who are like oh you took grandpa's book that i wanted and i'm i'm gonna hold that against you and it's like well like who cares if if you develop a habit of outrage just finding outrage in everything being outraged by everything what what example does that set for your kids Something happens, outraged, you know. Okay, well, it might be good and it might be bad. Maybe you just need to take it as it comes and and feel your way through it a little bit before just immediately jumping to outrage. And I, I, I don't know. I just see as, as time goes by, people latch on to that feeling of outrage as if it's justified and if it's going to fix something that outrage suddenly, you know, propels repair. And it really doesn't. It just makes things worse. And so how can, you know, our, I guess our job would be to try to combat that a little bit by saying I'm not going to become outraged by everything. Um, yes, there are serious and horrible things happening. And that particular example is just the, you know, that, that's a horrible situation. But that family saying we forgive you. We're going to move forward. We're not going to sit here and say, oh, I, you know, you read the comments, people saying, I, I hope they throw everything they've got at him, lock him up for life, you know, and it's like this family's already forgiven him and you're more outraged than they are. You're more vindictive than they are, mm -hmm. you know, 
take an example from the Savior. He says, turn the other cheek. And yeah, that's not easy. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be hard. Easy would be the natural man, and we're not meant to do that, right? We're meant to be bigger than that. Mosiah 3.19, you know, for the natural man is the enemy of God. And we'll be un unless you yield to the enticing of the Spirit, become as, as a little child, submissive, humble, patient, loving, kind, you know, all those things. And there is a time. There is a time to fight. There is a time to kill. There is a time to do, be outraged, you know. But the Holy Ghost will help us know when the time is right. And most of the time, our, most of our initial reactions have to be tempered. They have to be controlled. We have to change our nature and submit ourselves to the Holy Ghost because the natural man, 99.9% .9 of the time, is wrong. We're about to jump into the war chapters of the Book of Mormon. And, and that's interesting because most of the, like the underlying theme of the word chapters is you do the spiritual things and the war tends to work itself out where we try to think almost the opposite. We go be confronted. We go with our spears out and then, yes, that will make us good fathers. That will make us good husbands. That will make us good priesthood holders, right? And it's like, no, no. It's You do that first, and then when the war is there, you, you'll be ready. You'll go with the strength of the Lord. You know, it's like um, when you're a parent, there's this parenting thing I, I heard about and I read about. It's called easy, hard, hard, easy. And if you're going to take the easy route now with your kids when they're little, it's going to be really hard later. Meaning that like, if you take the easier route now, it's really easy to yell and to fight with your kids now because you always win because you're the parent and you can pick them up and you can physically control them and you can put them in their room. That's easy now, but it's hard later because they're going to be more defiant. Whereas if you do the hard now and you keep your patience and you forgive and you are kind and you talk softly to them and you teach them, then you do the hard now, it's going to be easy later on because they're going to know how to do that themselves. And so that's kind of like with, the, with what we're talking about now. The Lamanites, they chose to do hard and they're reaping it now. Or they chose to do the easy part, whereas it was fight and bicker and complain and lash out. And now it's really hard for their gener future generations. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow, and in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us.
My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.